Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. And Eric V. How are you doing, Eric? Doing good? <laughs> I'm good, David. Is that still messing with you? I feel like it's still it's still uh-huh. a problem for you, the uh, delay. Nope, not. Nope? Okay. Nope. Nope, okay. not at all. <laughs> today we're joined by our uh, very special guest, Jimmy C. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thanks for having Good. me, guys. Thanks for coming Absolutely. on. Where are you from, Jimmy? I live in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I grew right. up originally in Detroit. Hmm. Um, uh, lived a number of places over the years and in recovery I made my way out west lived in New Mexico for years um, and eventually met my wife to be and she was from North Carolina and she talked me into coming here great state oh yeah so uh, when were you first introduced to recovery um, so I'm 66 I've I've been uh, drug-free and recovery for 27 years. I would say technically it was my third time in a program Mm -hmm. at that point, 27 years ago. I would say the second time in in a program uh, treatment uh, eight Mm -hmm. years earlier was the first time I truly got taken to 12-step. Nice. I, I and, uh, knew very little about 12-step. I actually worked hard. Despite being a searcher and spiritually curious, I worked hard to avoid any knowledge of it. And yeah. so eventually I was desperate and needed it. Yeah, I hear you. And so how long have you been clean? 27 years. All right, man. That's awesome. All right. Well, with all awesome. that, I, yeah, man. With all that out of the way, I'm going to turn it over to you to share your story with us. So take it away. Well, thanks. Um, so I, f- I framed it a little bit with uh, my age now and, and my years in recovery. I did, um, I first time I drank, I was 10 years old. I would say I'm living proof of the evidence we have around genetic predisposition. Do you remember what that first drink was? Three beers. Three beers. And right. and I vomited for a good, you know, the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a party going on. Somebody's parents were out of town. I was, I was thinking about the liquor cabinet at five or six years old. My parents did not. They weren't. Uh, they didn't drink alcoholically at all. But there was plenty in the extended family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but I had a, a serious curiosity going on early. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I hear about the big party. I get my little $2 and get my little beers there and pretty much hated the taste, but I worked on that later and trained myself differently. Uh, chugged something and got sick and ended up having to be carried home. And I do remember distinctly thinking with my first and probably worst hangover of my life, I'm going to have to work at this. I'm going to have to practice this. I'm going to have to do, put effort in to get this drinking thing right. By 13, I was actually using drugs uh, and starting to drink a little bit regularly. Uh, This was the 60s. There was this real serious explosion of drugs and awareness of drugs. It was in the media a lot, and it was around. 
and I progressed through every group and subgroup there was, starting mm-hmm. on a sort of uh, natural progression we think of with marijuana and then working my way into psychedelics and powders and pills. And by my 16th birthday was in what passed for treatment in downtown Detroit for heroin, for a heroin addiction. Um, there had been a very interesting ex- ex- uh, a cultural uh, shift where um, the city opened up and uh, all us white kids poured in from the suburbs buying heroin. Um, and I was in the thick of it and witnessed it a lot. Um, I had an interesting experience. The treatment was a lockdown ward that used to be primarily a psych ward in a hospital right downtown, across the street from the first precinct police station of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was partially psych ward and partially, uh, essentially heroin detox. And um, there was a, it was mostly older black men, a couple of white kids like me and a few uh, women from the suburbs who suffered from usually depression or bipolar uh, known as manic depression at the time um, and, I, and I had an interesting experience very illuminating for me you know I'm, 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 I've learned to run the streets a bit but I'm also very undeveloped particularly emotionally I'm still young got a lot to learn and uh, while I'm in there the explosion of, of the city, you know, the, the suburbs rushing into the cities across the country to get yeah. heroin had become an actual national story. And it was on TV, and it had been filmed some in Detroit, and they were interviewing my buds that I ran with. Mm-hmm. Um, the, t- the interviews, they were all blacked out, and they disguised their voice just like, I don't know, witness protection program or something. But they were my actual friends. Uh, there were three different guys, and I always uh, am, am sad to point out that of the four of us, I'm the only one still alive. Um, mm. And so, so I was gripped, and I'm watching it, and they're, and they're uh, uh, exploring this topic as only the news can do. And the second or third night, we've all eaten dinner, we've all had our meds, we're all plopped in front of the television, and... Uh, I'll never forget that the newsman comes on and he starts the series. It's like four, it's a strip show in the news. It's like four nights in a row. And he starts the the show with the sentence. He says, the people have realized that heroin has come to their community. And this room full of, this room full of black men burst out laughing. I'll never forget it. And I, in my young uh, state looked around and said, what's so funny, fellas? And they said to me, kid, heroin's been in the community for a long time. What he means yeah. is it's in the white community. Mm. And uh, that thus began my education. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's gone on for a long time. I, that uh, usage and, and attendant uh, a case of hepatitis actually scared me. And I did, uh, I, the, the, the treatment did not do anything about meetings or uh, most anything. It was basically detox with, with excellent food. Um, um, detox being like pills, you know, to taper you down. Yeah. Um, um, uh, 
but I did stay, I did stay drug free for actually about a couple of years. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I got healthy. I wanted to be healthy. The hepatitis scared me. I thought I was, I was young. I thought I was invincible as we can when we're young. And I, I wasn't bulletproof. Um, but I didn't have anything to, uh, replace the hole inside that was left by taking the drugs away. And slowly but surely I made my way back to drugs and, uh, basically a long trudge to, a full-blown, complete addiction uh, uh, by the time I was 38, 39. Mm-hmm. At that point, I, was, I, was, I had a large, large narcotic habit, alcohol, Valium, and I uh, was out of money and landed in, uh, landed in a, a hospital, which talked me into going to a detox where I kicked cold turkey and had a spiritual experience. I had an actual drop of grace inside that uh, uh, social model detox, which means no no real medicine, pills, mm-hmm. is, um, which uh, completely removed um, the obsession to use. It freed me completely. And mm-hmm. um, my despair vanished. Uh, and uh, my, uh, I mean, I knew I could get through detox and I knew I could do this thing and it catapulted me into beginning recovery. It was it was a real thing. It, I call it a drop of grace. It, it 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 only did one thing, you know. It just removed the obsession. So I soon yeah. realized I had a lot of work to do. Uh, but uh, but it was it was a, a gift, a blessing. It showed me kind of like they say when you die, you, you your life flashes before your eyes. It showed me my life and in a good way I could, yeah. it, it helped. I understood, I understood that I was stubborn enough and self-willing enough and, uh, uh, that I needed this much pain and I was getting what I needed while being kept alive. And, uh, it flooded me with a lot of emotion period, but with gratitude. And I've been running on that gratitude ever since basically. Mm. Mm. So uh, feel free to ask questions, or, or if we hold them till the end, I'll, I'll just charge ahead. Um, hey, keep going. So, uh, about two years later, I actually went to work in that detox. Uh, it wasn't my plan. wasn't what I yeah. was thinking of. Uh, you know, I was pretty uh, 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 broke. <laughs> I, what I had on my mind was paying bills and making amends, financial amends, and getting rich. Um, but the, yeah. the the main treatment center in the county had taken over the detox, turned it into the county detox, and asked me to come and work there. Uh, I, I actually turned them down, and I had a job, and what happened was I, I blew my knee out, and I couldn't do my job. Uh, my job was fairly physical. And so I went, I said, I mean, I was going to get a little uh, workman's comp or whatever, but I, I, I wanted some money and I uh, went and worked there part-time. said, okay, it's a mm-hmm. best job. I can do that. And I went there and uh, um, it took me about three months to really get it. And I realized, oh, I'm supposed to do this. And that led to uh, like the next 25 years of uh, being a licensed drug counselor. Mm. I remember I was out 
I was out at, uh, I worked at the detox for two years. It was part of a, a, a whole countywide agency. They had a main place with 30 beds and they had some second stage homes around the county. And I was at the main headquarters uh, picking up the mail and I heard that the director was the one who hired me, but he had a manager. And I heard the manager, I was in the mail room, but you could hear acoustically her office. And she was complaining about something I'd done. And I heard the director say something to her, which was illuminating. Uh, this was you know, pretty early, I don't know, six months after I started there, two and a half years clean. She was, uh, she was saying something to him and he said, no, 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 you don't touch him. He loves addicts. And I thought to myself, doesn't everybody? And again, you know, I'm touched. I'm touched by my own ability for a bit of naivete. It turned out that uh, over the years I realized, no, everybody does not love addicts. And, uh, and that that's kind of a rare thing. And that was part of him showing me, you know, you got to do this work, man. You can't. You forget make getting rich or anything like that, because generally speaking, no matter how licensed and college degreed you are, it's not the most uh, financially rewarding work. But it was extremely yeah. uh, educational for me. It taught me a lot over the years. It taught me a lot being in 12-step and in recovery myself while being in the field in a city. You know, I, I realized some things about 12-step. I realized some things about my program and my needs. Uh, I realized some things that are now all part of a recovery movement in terms of how we really need to, um, uh, how, how the general way the system's designed does not truly attract people in. Mm-hmm. And from a, me- from a medical viewpoint, uh, which it is a disease. It's been, you know, the alcoholism was classified as a disease in the DSM and by the insurance companies in the 50s. So it's not really a debate. It is a disease, but the way we treat it tends to not be the way we treat most other diseases. It's a chronic condition, but we treat it like an acute condition. Um, That goes goes back to my first... uh, uh, job. Well, I'm working with the, at the detox, and he says to me, "You know, you, this is in 1995, right? This was sort of before the movement, and and all of that sort of research started really getting us talking about our shortcomings." He said to me, "You're going to be outreach," and I said, "Great, you know, uh, what is that?" He said, "You're going to go out yeah. and talk guys into coming into the detox, basically." Mm. Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, but and I'm yeah. like, okay, this is fascinating. What an idea! And it, you know, it showed me it, over time. I really realized we tend to wait till people wash up on our doorstep. Mm. Um, you know, in the day with Bill and Bob, their much of their activity became, you know, hitting the streets hidden the flop houses, hidden the homeless yeah. shelters, uh, really doing serious 12-step work. And mm-hmm. it's no it's no fault. I mean, it's not about blame or, or pointing the finger, but over the decades with the system that's arisen with treatment and, and, and treatment coupled with uh, meeting attendance, um, the institutions, including the courts, have kind of replaced that standard outreach 12-step work. Um, yeah. 
and, and but the institutions weren't really doing it as twelve step work. It's mm-hmm. you know when you're ready, you'll come and get help, and so it, you know it's a big picture. Talk about it forever, but the ultimate one of the ultimate takeaways for me was well, it actually related to. So I said I was in treatment when I was sixteen. And then eight years before I finally got clean, I had done one, and I was in that program, and it was a, it was a Salvation Army, and it was actually quite good. And there was a woman in there, my my counselor, and she kept saying the same thing to me over and over again. She kept saying, "You can let this pain be enough." Mm. And I hadn't a clue what she meant. Yeah. I was there. I was there because of a a girlfriend that kind of. Uh, you know, pushed me into it. And in my mm-hmm. mind, bless her heart, she was trying to help me. But in my mind, I was at, I was at a, uh, like a, a health spa resting up. Huh. And I did not know what she meant. And then I eventually had my horrific bottom and, 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 and landed in my last place. And one day I remembered that earlier Salvation Army, which I completely forgot about. My brain was befuddled and stuperous and full of fog and <laughs> as, as, as time and detox and as spiritual activity and, you know, maybe a little bit of actual decent food began to do its, its work. I, my memory came back and I remembered what she said and all of a sudden I got it. I knew yeah. what she meant. And so the, 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 the reason I thought of that is the lesson from much of this, including the recovery movement, is let's help people shorten their need for pain. Let's help people yeah. lessen the time out there. Let's create a light so bright that we attract people in sooner. Mm. Um, yeah. that, that became my work. That became a big part of what I did. I tended to be at homeless agencies for many years, uh, most of my work, I tended to, there often was a harm reduction component, which was very educational for me. Also taught me a lot about sort of old school standard stuff that I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, helped uh, open me up and made me realize some version of the same thing I was talking about, which was, okay, uh, uh, okay, you don't want to give, you don't want to do needle exchange, but then how are you going to engage these people? The whole plan of needle yeah. exchange, aside from the medical side of it, is at least we're engaging them. And mm-hmm. which means you're developing a relationship, which means you're actually developing trust, because that's what the street work's about. You become yeah. known as the guy, you actually have a relationship, they actually drop their guard a little bit, and in that, you get to see that window of opportunity where maybe they're thinking about, it's time to change my life. Yeah. And that's the work, and that's how it goes. Um, I ended up in New Mexico to study holistic. I was very sick. Um, I had blown my liver out, my kidneys, and you know, began on a path of healing myself. That's what took me out to New Mexico. And I did study holistic. I went to energy schools. I did a lot of. Uh, I went to herbal school, um, and I'll just short try and keep that short by saying that. Um, I did a lot of work, a lot of different modalities. I went to great teachers, great practitioners, and and today my liver sparkles. 
Mm. I mean, I, I tell my doctor about my past, and he's a new doctor, and he does the blood draw like a standard physical, and he doesn't yeah. believe me. He's looking at my numbers, and he doesn't believe me. I learned a lot about who we are and how we are through the holistic, which is that we can heal. Yeah. The body's designed to heal. Anything in the body can heal. And anybody says differently, and some doctors say differently, they're wrong. They're mistaken. Yeah. Everybody's different, and it's an arduous path. You have to do. You have to do disciplined nutrition. You have to add exercise. You got to do heart mind work because there's always an emotional component. Yeah. Um, if, if I take my junk food away, which I was very dependent on in early recovery because I was poor, and that was the what the the, the uh, food bank was given out was basically mm -hmm. uh, cheap food. God bless it. Um, if you take it away, you know sometimes you have uh, feelings just like when you take away the drugs. Yeah. And uh, we we needed we need support and 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 a process to. Uh, use those to help ourselves heal just like when we take away the drugs. Mm -hmm. So let me think. What am I leaving out here? Uh, 27 years of recovery. I mean, at some point, I did get very socio-political because I've been studying this for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, was, yeah. it wasn't the plan, uh, <laughs> but I did yeah. serious research and each and every uh, group and subgroup of drugs. And then, you know, working in the field and realizing I'm serious and going to college and uh, a lot of conferences and meeting national greats and meeting even some national healing greats and Getting all this, you get a, a, a eventually you, you get enough data that you, uh, you you get a lot of perspectives. In New Mexico, I work with native tribes, sometimes native people. Albuquerque's the at least at the time had the largest urban Indian population, so there's huge paradigms of, of from native uh, wisdom being shown me that really uh, changed my perspectives and and. Uh, uh, what you, you you can't ignore how broken our systems are. Yeah, and that became, oh, yeah. became part of my work. To me, it's not. It's like addiction and recovery. It's not bad news. It's not being negative. It's no, no. You want to see reality because then you know where to go from. Yeah, you know the, the greatest moment. The greatest moment internally for me was when I accepted. Hey, hey, I'm an addict. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that at that point, the fact that I actually had denial was kind of well, it was very humorous. It's like, <laughs> you yep. know, dude, what are you? How could you be in denial? But mm -hmm. it, it, it was liberating. You know, we go into meetings and we say, "My name's oh, Jay, yeah. and I'm an addict," because it's liberating. It's great. We're owning it. Oh man, it's not poor me, or it's not, you know, it's it's this is who I am, and therefore this tells me. My path, my, my yeah. first uh, path is put down the drugs. We mm -hmm. get rid of the drugs. My second path is find something to replace it. Give yourself a spiritual path. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where I'm at with with our broken system. Of course, we're in at this moment 
as a nation, we're in a health crisis. So yes. we're, we're seeing the brokenness of systems in many ways all the time. And some of the, some of the, uh, the media, the information isn't necessarily that illuminating. It seems to be like it's all just spinning, 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 and we don't really know our way out. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here to say there is, there are ways out, and there are ways to make systems, particularly medical, health, and addiction recovery systems, way more effective without needing to spend a lot more money. And that became yeah. part of my passion. And my last work was here in North Carolina um, as an advocate and a, a presenter um, around this, around the recovery movement and bringing visibility to recovery uh, and, and, and talking about the various ways that the system could be improved without great added expense. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I don't know where I am time-wise, but uh, I'm happy to rest there if that works for you guys. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to go first, Eric. Go ahead. Please. All right. So um, kind of with uh, it, it, this sort of relates to, like, the beginning and the end of, like, what you were talking about with um, – sort of like the, the opioid crisis that we're in right now and like how you talked in the early part of the story about how, how those older black guys laughed and they were like, no, nah, it's always been here. It's just now showing up in the white communities. And, and so my question is like, why do you think like the opioid crisis is getting so much media attention these days? Is it, is it pretty much for the exact same reason? Like it's, it's starting to show up in the suburbs amongst higher class, quote unquote, community? Absolutely. That is, that is my reason I, I dragged that story out. Uh, it, it, it was, it started, it happened again. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, or it wasn't all of a sudden, because by the early, early 90s, by 1990, there were pill mills and there were a lot of pills. It took a while, but it, it was getting the renewed media simply because whites were dying. Yeah, we have decimated uh, uh, poor people of colors, communities with drugs forever, including mm-hmm. starting with alcohol with native tribes going yeah. back to the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that never got the attention. Um, yeah. You know, heroin poured through Detroit, my hometown, while the jobs were pouring out. Yeah. Um, and nobody said a word to speak of mm-hmm. until um, all of a sudden white kids from the suburbs were overdosing. They were dying. They were getting hepatitis. Uh, crime was on the rise, theft, all that type of stuff. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's an issue. And, and, and yes, that's what I see going on today. And this so-called, I, 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 it bothers me. It causes me pain. So I'm, oh, yeah, me too. I, I, should, I, I appreciate that very much. So I call it a so-called epidemic because it's been horrendous for a long time. Absolutely. Um, this, this one's been going on for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so hear me, this is 2020. And I yeah. bottomed out in 93 when you could get pills everywhere. So that's yep. 103, 113. We're going on 30, you know, 25, 27 years. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, if an, if an epidemic's 27 years old, I think they got a different word for it. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think it's like genocide. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At some point. Yeah. It, it, it becomes, it, it just basically becomes a, a social or societal uh, pattern of behavior. And, and yes. it, it really is. I mean, how, how yes. old is our, our alcohol epidemic is, 250 years old now, 240 years old. And, and that's right. it's, that's right. It's, it's just a, a social norm. And it's, that's right. It's, it's a social sickness is what it is. And the, the current statistics on alcohol, uh, you know, uh, uh, overconsumption and, and illness and death is through the roof. Oh yeah. So it's oh, yeah. not down. So it, you know, I, I'm glad that there was renewed uh, coverage, but mm -hmm. it's important that we make that we that we frame this as as truthfully, as big picture wise, and as um, realistically as possible. And, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, the media has taken a lot of shots from sources that I don't appreciate. Uh, mm -hmm. But the truth is, the media does have some shortcomings, and their coverage of all this, sh some of those shortcomings are showing. Yeah. Um, I'm I, blessed. And I actually worked in the media some, so I have some understanding of how it operates. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what I think the, the real great problem is, is they're, they're trying to find an, a specific enemy or a specific scapegoat like heroin or pills or whatever, when in reality they need to broaden their, their scope of understanding and perspective and realize that it's, a, it's an addiction epidemic. It's not just opiates. It's not just one thing. It's an addiction epidemic. It's gambling. It's overeating. It's overspending. It's over-substance uh, using. It, it's just over-addiction, period. I appreciate that very much. I deeply agree. A, um, it, it is, it is, that is a great place to start. Quit making it the opioid epidemic. Every drug, yeah. there's all sorts of sections of the country where opioids aren't even the problem. Meth is the problem. Yeah. Alcohol is exactly. the problem. Yep. And so it is addiction. And secondly, let's admit it, that we, we have diseases of despair at this point in time as have been cataloged by, you know, superb, sociological commentators that when you when you start listing you know shopping and food and gambling we're, in other words we're filling we have a hole inside and we're oh, filling yeah. it with a thousand things and that oh, is yeah. that's the indicator of the problem not opioids yeah. which of course can be devastating mm -hmm. so I agree that's right mm -hmm. alright Eric what do you got um so, let me think about this. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm st I still have this kink in my back that's killing me. Um, so, you mentioned that you... Is it your low back or uh, upper back? Upper back. If you don't mind my asking. It's my upper, upper back. back. Yeah, like uh, upper shoulder. I think I just slept wrong. It's like mm -hmm. destroying me today. Um, sure. But All right. I, I've been asking a lot about steps, so... You worked in, you know, you worked in the field and 
that that's a type of service, right? Um, so with step 12, how have you gone about, um, you know, practicing service and not only the fellowships of recovery, but also, uh, in all of your affairs? Oh, that's a great question. You know, you know, I, I want to start, I want to begin the response to that by saying that another big takeaway for me over the years was that my work with addicts, you know, 50 hours a week, man, I mean, I, there were years and years where I had two jobs, you know, maybe one and a half, we'd call it, for a number of reasons. I worked in every modality. I was, I had some great mentors. I wanted to learn and I needed the money. So I worked in outpatient on the weekend and, you know, inpatient all week. And I eventually created a program with another guy and, you know, eventually ran it. And so I, uh, uh, then consult elsewhere. So, um, it, what I realized was it was changing my program. My program changed mm-hmm. seriously over time. And, yeah. and my 12 step work, reduced and my genuine uh, 12 step 12 step type stuff non-work oriented non-paycheck oriented you know was reduced to very low um, it was it was it was good to know it was, what I learned was I need to really grow in my ability to take care of myself mm-hmm. that at some point you know you can be in recovery and and I call it we become spiritual tough guys we kind of ignore the pain from everything we see, you know, we see guys die regularly. Uh, um, you know, it, 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 there's a fair amount of chaos and, and, uh, trauma, uh, that we witness. Um, and we have to really, I had to really grow my ability to acknowledge that and deal with that in a healthy way. I mean, basically I doubled down on my recovery at some point, but it grew much more about looking after me. Um, um, now it's a, it's a, it's a complex question. Could you repeat that second part again? So yeah, the, remember how you put it? Um, how have you been practicing the 12th step in all of your affairs? Well, my, I don't know if I've ever really analyzed it though. I, I, I'd like to, I, you know, th- there's a movie called the anonymous people and there's a guy in there and, and they're discussing anonymity, which everybody respects the traditions very much. Mm-hmm. Anonymity is very respected, but he said, you know, my drinking wasn't a secret. And so my recovery wasn't a secret. And mm-hmm. it, I was just sort of naturally out in the open, um, about my recovery. Every, bit of my life. So some 12 step work evolved out of that. And I just trusted that if it came to me, if it appeared in front of me, I responded. Um, but due to my job, which had me, I had relationships with the jail, the prison, the, the detox, the the, the homeless, the two main homeless shelters and was in them every week. So that was my half my work one third of it, let's say, um, keeping my eyes open for that window of opportunity for the guy that's, you know, just give give me 15 minutes of a window and, and magic can begin to actually grace that magic can begin to happen. Um, um, so, but on the other hand, I don't know if I'm fully addressing your question, but 
I think I've generally been quite appropriate about it, but I'm not shy about discussing the fact that I'm in recovery. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think I, that just came naturally to me. Many things didn't come naturally to me. I made plenty of mistakes, but that I don't think was one of them. I was able to be outgoing when it was appropriate and but had no need to bring it up if it wasn't needed. Mm-hmm. And it all seemed to roll out just sort of naturally. And so uh, I didn't have a true design, but I think there was a true design to it. So I, I got to give it to my higher power on that one. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm going to stick right, right along those lines. Um, because you you talked about like on your 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 journey of recovery and and moving to various places around the country and uh, sort of diving into just to, like what was available in those areas like with uh, uh, with the Na- the Native Americans out in like New Mexico and and uh, like the original like homeless work in um, Detroit and how it all like. Um, sort of became an amalgam of of a very well-rounded recovery. So how important is it to have that well-rounded recovery and be able to be open-minded and accept new approaches during your journey of recovery instead of just getting stuck with one, uh, one viewpoint and one maybe dogma of how recovery should be? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a great question also. Seriously. I didn't know it in the beginning mm-hmm. that I was going to get such a well-rounded one. But after a while, with hindsight, I saw it and I realized that made, that really pleased me. Cause mm-hmm. I'm curious and I want to know and I want to do my job best I can. Yeah, you know it's a tough it's a tough job to track. You know, if you make a part in a plant factory somewhere, you know you can at the end of the day and go, oh, I made a hundred of those. You know, it's very concrete. Yeah, this kind of work is gray. How do we get more effective? It mm-hmm. Is is absolutely related to what you bring up. I must stay open. I got a lot to learn. Uh, 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 and and I, I guess I, I brought a fair amount of that naturally into it, motivated by a desire to get better. Better, but I do have an, a nature that can also be oh uh, truculent, uh, mm-hmm. attached to my ideas, and so I had to I had to uh, grow in that area. I had to push myself. It, it's it's you know somebody said to me. Early on in the beginning, I was at this homeless agency, and I'm working in the homeless men's program. We have so the for facilities, and we'd all meet in in the all staff. Eventually, they had a medical clinic for homeless, but we were really a residential situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, 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 recovery guys are all the same. Uh, all you say is, all you say is, all you need to do is go to a meeting. And I remember thinking, she was, I don't think she was even saying it to me. She was saying it to the room, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's probably right. And I'm going to look into that. And I did. I felt motivated. All though That sort of openness as much came from the grace of recovery as anything. But I am 
curious and eager to learn at the same time. Um, yeah. So that really set me on that path right there to do what you what you asked about, to counter it. And what I saw was there's kind of two worlds in the treatment world. And yeah. Like a classic schism. There's us recovery guys out of AA or whatever NA, and uh, you know, and I'm I lean. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an addict. I'm, I, I'm a, a, a equal opportunity guy. I checked everything out, so I lean toward NA and adore, I love NA. Adore NA. Yeah. Guys in NA saved my life, and I'm still yeah. close with any number of them. Bless their hearts. Um, and there's uh, I just need to throw that in, and, and then there's um, master degree uh, academic types mm-hmm. and um, God bless them I, I love university uh, I'm all for that but that's not the world I truly came from and I just thought well they know some stuff I don't know so I set about to learn what they know mm-hmm. and I have to admit I, deep down I have a little cockiness because it's like you know I understand what you're talking about and some of this is very valid information but you do not know where I've been. Oh, so, you know, to me, that's that's the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. It, it, it behooves me to understand that side, that world. Uh, I like books. I like learned people. I like using the virtues of discernment to weed out what's truly valid and helpful and what isn't. And that takes years, you know, and, and, and a lot of experience. Uh, but from the academic world, uh, I, I've learned a lot. And I like the fact that I have basic street experience, life experience that is pretty much in myself. And, uh, and, uh, but we don't look, the statistics stink for 12 step. See, that's one of the great things yeah. I learned. And that's not a criticism. That's not being negative. But what I saw being in, NA while being in the, uh, you know, running the main facility in the city was that there's all sorts of people that it wasn't that they weren't compliant or that they hadn't had enough pain, that there were barriers to them getting into NA. NA or AA, anything can end up being kind of a clique kind of a, that can be walls built by personalities. And when you're new and raw and, 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 and have shame, that stuff can really rebuff you and push you right out. It doesn't necessarily attract. And, 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 and the statistics support that. An amazing amount of people actually quit drugs and get some semblance of life back, get some actual recovery without ever coming into 12 steps. And, and some of those people's complaints about 12-step have some validity. See, I saw that being yeah. an old-school guy that adored my NA, but over time I couldn't ignore the fact of all the data I had in my head just from doing the job I did. And the right. true data of research supports that. So to me, I go to, well, Bill W. said that Groups ought to do a yearly inventory just like a human being. So shouldn't we sit down and, and take a look at how we do things? Yeah. Um, that that can be, I'm, I'm throwing this out there quickly, you know, that, that this demands a more well-rounded explanation because that can really rub up against 12-steppers. What do you yeah. mean? 
who do you, you think you are talking about? But, you know, I, 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 did, I, I went to my meetings and I did the other side of the treatment work. And um, I realized, oh, of course we have shortcomings. Of course we're not perfect. So that, in other words, leads to your point of, so do we need to stay open? Of course we do. Yes. Because <laughs> HOW is the, way, is the way to a better life. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, Eric, back to you. So since you're an NA, I'm going to ask you our, our standard NA question, um, which is from the first step, which, uh, you know, you've been, you've been in recovery for a long time now, and I'm sure this has uh, popped up a number of times, uh, but how has addiction manifested itself in your life over the course of your recovery? And secondly, how have you used the principles of the program to combat those manifestations? Well, I would, I would like to think that I didn't switch addictions a lot, but I certainly recognized at some point as I was getting older and was working so much, I was pretty sedentary that to put it simply, I was eating too much damn sugar. Mm. And I set about to really change my diet. And I mean, that was an area where um, it was hard. It yeah. took work, it took, you know, discipline. I detoxed, <laughs> you know, I was mm-hmm. grumpy for a few days. And, and my uh, nutrition has been much better for, you know, over a decade, but I still uh, wrestle with some, uh, I've relapsed on sugar a few times, <laughs> let's say. Yeah. Um, so um, that's a, a sort of, uh, you know, a common example, but I think fairly common, oh, yeah. that I had, to, I had to apply the principles. I had to apply, uh, you know, um, how do I do it? You know, uh, I lean deeply on uh, God um, uh, for my higher power. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, I've worked to really develop a relationship with my higher power, and I believe there's something genuinely there, but um, trying to truly describe it, uh, words become quite imperfect. Uh, mm-hmm. It's almost a little, it's sort of, uh, what would I call it? I don't know, it's a little odd to say, I've got a, me and God are really in touch and connected. And so, but nevertheless, um, I do feel it's grown and to the point that it's a serious comfort for me. And um, so prayer and meditation, including combating something like, uh, a change like, look, you're going to give up sugar and you're going to get really serious and you're going to do this, uh, including by accepting and surrendering and, and, and those sort of things, uh, getting honest, writing about it, maybe doing a step on it, um, are all in order. I did study a guy, Richard Rohr. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He was actually, he's, he's actually out of Albuquerque. I knew him, but he, after I went away, he, he came out with even more books where he had done some real work on the parallels between early Christianity, what he would call true Christianity, and, and 12-step. 
Hmm. And um, he makes the argument that the greatest addiction is, is our thinking patterns. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah. what actually, I think, earnestly comes to mind. I mean, a lot of the classic stuff, I, I worked hard not to overspend, or I, I never got a gambling problem, and I could have. I mean, I'm prone to that, but I, I just stayed away from casinos or anything like that. Those sort of things didn't pop up, but certainly in truth, the circular patterns of thinking that do us no good, do me no good, um, well, I still have. Um, there's been change, there's been growth, there's been healing, but uh, I'm still uh, uh, longing to continue to rise, you know, to advance into higher levels of mastery of that. And, uh, and I, I, like, I like his point. I think that might be our greatest or our corest addiction because so much of life follows the mental. You know, the mental sets the tone or the pace of so many things behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would I would answer your question in that realm too. Um, uh, you have to do a lot of work. I mean, to me, I mentioned the holistic um, recovery is the foundation. Recovery twelve step is fantastic. Bill and Bob built something that NA ran with and and, and became it, it's stupendous in its simplicity. Um, and what it offers us as a foundation. But for real healing, I realized I needed even more. I want to I go, I have a vision of being fully healed, uh, mm. having fully forgiven myself mm. and everyone, having integrated my, my, my you know, heart and mind and body together. Um, and my studies say that's true and that's a real thing. And I've actually experienced some of that working with, uh, teachers. Um, and, and, and in that the mind is, is essential. The mind to be able to, uh, heal the mind is a huge part of that. So, uh, um, that's my highest desire. That's my highest vision. And, that's, and 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 the patterns I would say are are, are addictive. Mm. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I got my uh, one last question for you. So, um, it, it being an addictions counselor and and working in that field is very difficult, and um, I, I have a lot of friends in that field as well. And at times they have, they have trouble, uh, like they think they're constantly working in recovery, but they're, they're actually two separate things. So how did you separate your recovery from your work as an addiction counselor with other people? You know, that goes back to what we were talking about where I said it actually, I realized that it was changing my program. Mm -hmm. So, for example, a practical, simple, or simpler aspect is um, you, you don't necessarily want to, you, you want to go to meetings, you want to have at least a meeting, your home group, mm -hmm. whatever, where your clients are there. 
mm-hmm. like you're saying, how do you, how do you do it? There, there's simple, practical considerations that allow you to separate that you, you, you need to be clear on. You need to accept and, and work on. I've seen guys who run whole programs that didn't get that boundary mm-hmm. issue and it, uh, and it caused them problems. Um, you know, boundary is a great word. Uh, one of the greatest uh, things you can do for yourself is also one of the greatest things you can do for others. That includes clients or just people in 12-step is have healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing, whatever it is, whatever you need, a person needs to do, starting with an example like, you know what? There's guys in that meeting. Maybe you can go there, but you're not really going to share. So you need to have those boundaries. And so you find, make sure you have a meeting you can hit that's, that's free from those guys. Um, that is a great gift that you give others. When we have strong boundaries, we're helping others also. And it is yeah. essential to this kind of work. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's essential. It's essential for addicts. We often come in um, uh, abused from childhood mm-hmm. and broken in some ways, and our own addiction can have led to our own abuse, and it busted us up into even more pieces. And we need to grow boundaries. We need to understand boundaries. We need to, uh, you know, grow them, uh, get greater clarity, and live them. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm trying to think of other ways that that might translate into how I, I'm trying to remember. How did I, what did that lead to? Um, it, it, I mean, I can make a general statement. I think I said it um, of, I just... My program became, I actually doubled down and I got more serious about looking after myself. And that included some emotional growth around the understanding that of, of what it took to look after myself. Yeah. Uh, yep. I had to get, go deeper into that to get realer yeah. with myself about that. Acknowledge my feelings, acknowledge the needs I had, and really do them. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what? It took me a while to do walk in nature. Oh, you know, do we really allow ourselves the time to just stroll for two hours in a forest? Uh, well, you know, you can walk fast. You can get some exercise, but are you are you just there? Will you let yourself do that? Because walk. You know, I, I got serious into working out. I, uh, mm-hmm. it really, really improves my brain chemistry and my health and, uh, everything. Um, but, and I thought walking was kind of, uh, just not worth the time. Walking's extremely beneficial and walking in nature is triply beneficial. Absolutely. You gotta be in a different space for it. You know, you gotta slow down and let yourself be there. So that's a little example of, of, a, of something that I didn't do or just put off or was, you know, procrastinated or was even lazy about that. Eventually I said, no, 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 I'm going to make this a part of my week just like a number of other things. Mm-hmm. I added those things to bring me balance, which actually got me more centered and more grounded, which allowed me to 
be able to separate between work and just guys in 12 step. All right. All right. Perfect. What you got, Eric? Well, I think it's that time, David. Come on, let's just, let's do a couple more hours of questions. This is fantastic. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, it's that time, Eric. Go ahead, David. Do your thing. All right. It is time to indulge our fans. Get their get their questions out on the airwaves. So it's time to so go. Is somebody is somebody listening to this right now? No, no, no. It's not live. Uh, it's oh, okay. pre-recorded, okay. but. But we, okay. we like we like to include our fans and our and our listeners and some subscribers, and we like to go to the Twitter for their questions. Good. All right, so I'm going to actually modify this question a little bit, and uh, the way this works, uh, Jimmy, is you'll answer first, and then David, and then myself. And this is from VTX App or at VTX Support. And the question is that admissions, AMAs, and relapse surges during the COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the things, and I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, but, you know, just expand upon it, is, you know, how, how is this affecting the recovery community and addicts as a whole? And, um... And yeah, I mean, how how is this affecting the recovery community? Well, I always think about this when there's a catastrophe. I was in East Texas, East Dallas area when Catherine happened in, uh, no, I'm sorry, Katrina, Katrina in yeah. New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And I had a little bit of free time and I tried to go over there because what do you do when you're strung out? And some like this oh, yeah. down. Nobody thinks about the, the poor guy out there or gal, you know. Uh, and, and I had this the fantasy: we're going to get a big boat, get a barge, and just roam around in New Orleans, you know, with a bullhorn, saying, "Hey, you, you know, do you need detox? Uh, you want a meeting? Come on over here. We got donuts and coffee, sort of thing." And, mm-hmm. and then we'll just put it on wheels and we'll drive. I mean, this is, come on, supplies for drugs got to be dwindling seriously with all this COVID corona uh, mm-hmm. shutdown. And, and there's some poor people out there hurting, hurting. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and then really you're asking about recovery. Um, so if you're shaky, if you're new, and all of a sudden, you know, weirdness like this happens. I mean, this is, this is, I'll say this and let you guys answer. Um, um, cause it's really been on my mind. I, you know, my life is wonderful. My life mm-hmm. is wonderful. And at this time, you know, many, many wonderful things have been happening for years, but it's very sad and painful to watch this. And I work hard to not, I work hard to acknowledge it, but I also work to keep my spirits up because I think that's my duty. I need that. Uh, people need that. My people need that. And uh, uh, I think if, if you're really uh, vulnerable and, and, and in a rough spot, this is hard to get through. And my heart goes out to everybody that's feeling, feeling shaky now. But I don't. I don't know if we know the answer to the question. In other words, it's gonna might take some hindsight for us to realize that it may have hurt the recovery community, and uh, and my heart goes out to everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you guys say? Um, 
I think it's, I, I'm going to look at both sides of the coin because that's something I like to do. So on on the, uh, I'll, I'll start with sort of the dark side of the coin. How is it hurting the recovery community? Um, I, I think it's putting a strain on a, on a lot of people um, financially, emotionally, psychologically, um, re- recovery, uh, recovery community or not. Now, specifically in the recovery community, having that extra stress in your life, especially if you're new in recovery, um, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad I have some years under my belt. Um, Amen. Amen. Cause, cause it, I, I, I don't know how I would have navigated this really, because it's, it, there's, there's not a physical place you can go and, and feel safe for an hour or two a day. You can't, you can't get those, uh, meeting after the meetings where, where you're talking to people, um, networking, going and getting coffee, really building those, um, really integral early recovery relationships that uh, I needed. Um, so in that instance, it's, I think it's very difficult. Now on the good side, how, how is it, uh, affecting it positively? I think the, the 12 step fellowships have embraced technology to the best of their ability and really made do with what we got and it still, still made a message accessible to people with, with technology, like with the, with the zoom meetings and the Google hangouts and all that, all that other stuff. It's, it's still available to people, but for somebody who's just getting it, I, I think it poses a great problem. And, and uh, overall, I think we're all just missing the human connection, which sucks. But, uh, but the, the, the technology is, is keeping us as close as we can be for now. And uh, it's something we're all going to have to learn and grow through. And, and I think the people that do make it through this, um, in a positive light will make the recovery community even stronger moving forward. Well, I, I know we got one more to weigh in, but I got to say, well put, I agree. I agree on the positive stuff. And I mean, and the, and the hard side, uh, that you're right. It has responded. Well, mm-hmm. there has been yeah. plenty of stuff going on, but of course, face to face is really what we need. We need the hug. We need the, you know, the, the personal, but, uh, uh, so both sides are true, but I agree. There's plenty of positive and there could be real benefit. I, I will go so far as to throw in that, uh, when I'm out, I see payoffs from this. We're working. Mm-hmm. I know there's pain and I never want to minimize suffering, but there's plenty of communities that are working together, uh, yeah. more because of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good can come from this, and that is the way to. That's the way to think of it. And so I appreciate yeah. you putting it that way. Yeah. All right. What about you, Eric. So, yeah, I, I do. I do kind of want to touch on the addiction side as well as the recovery side, where I can't imagine being in active addiction right now. 
and how difficult oh, no. mm. active addiction Ugh. would be during this. Because, I mean, you mentioned it, Jimmy, the supply. Like, I can't imagine going to the city and trying to cop. And the supply is probably oh. starting to dwindle. It's been it's been a month. Sure. And I mean, supply sure. su- like the supply chain is very fractured. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's um yeah. from the addiction side, there's almost this forced um, detox almost that might have to happen depending on yes. when the world reopens. Where you just and imagine re- imagine the price gouging. The price gouging yeah. is probably similar to like the late OC, like the late Oxycontin price gouging that happened. Mm. Um, it's probably it might even be worse, but I'm sure the price gouging is pretty terrible. Uh, but you know, I feel for those people because you know we've all been there, and I, I can't Me imagine too. being this sick and like well, being sick and then being afraid to get sick, and then you still have to go out and do your your stuff to get your stuff. Like there's like there isn't just, you know, I don't know. There, there's no the hustle um, just got harder. Yeah, the, the hustle, hustle got harder, the hustle just sure. got a lot harder. So I feel for people <laughs> inactive right now because yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, but the recovery side, um, I do think the face for newcomers. I, I feel, I feel for them too. Um, this, this type of stress and anxiety and you know needing meetings like people. When you're new, you almost you almost replace the drug with a meeting, right? Like I remember being new yes. and saying, you know, I need a meeting. Like I physically and yes. mentally needed a meeting. And I needed, yep. you know, to go and hang out with people and smoke cigarettes and, you know, do all that. And to not be able to do that, I mean, think about so much of my early recovery was getting outside of myself through meetings and through other people. And now I'm inside mm-hmm. and I'm all, I can't go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? And the one positive that I, I really believe will come out of this is I believe technology is going to play more of a part moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Like the zoom meetings, I, I know it's the hot thing right now. I'm not sure it will continue, but I think it will have its place. Um, I think there will be different technology platforms that come out of this which make, I mean, you know, getting clean in isolation, right? Like there's people who reach out to us on the podcast all the time who aren't in, you know, populated areas. We have the, we have the blessing that we're in Baltimore. There's so many freaking meetings here. It's, you know, it's pretty easy to go to a meeting, but when you're in rural, like it's kind of unfair, it is unfair. But if you're in like rural Kansas, like the closest meetings an hour and away, like I mean, that's, yeah. that's hard. So yeah. it's, it's good yeah. because I feel like this is going to really, it, the, the, the pandemic's not good, but the technology, the technology that's going to come from this and the open-mindedness to like connect virtually, I think is really going to help people who don't have, you know, accessibility to a meeting. It's and true. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's good that, you know, people now have this access Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're all getting used to running <laughs> the the Zoom or whatever whatever one we're we're using. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting up to speed if we're if we were behind. Uh, okay, two questions. Um, so you guys are in Baltimore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do Do you know John Waters? 
No. Yeah, of course. He's, just a, he's, a, he's a favorite artist of mine, and I'd just like you to say hi to him. You know, tell him Jimmy said hi. I mean, if we go down to oh, Fells, well, I hear that John Waters is in He's in Fells. Like, if we, if we hung out in Fells enough, I feel like you'd see John Waters eventually. But we don't, we don't hang out there yeah, enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the, the, what's your favorite movie about, by him, Jimmy? That's a great question. Um, I have one, but I'm forgetting it. It's not Cry Baby. It's the other one. Uh, oh man, not the Johnny Cry Baby was the Johnny Depp one, right? Yep. They shot yes. part of that the, yeah, in Shannon Forest. It was the one with. Um, the dance party and everything. Oh, hairspray. Uh, yes, hairspray. Yes, it was. Hair, yeah, that was that was my personal favorite. I grew up with a with a, 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 a record like a Dick Clark show like that in Detroit. Mm-hmm. We had one, you know, and you'd try and go down and dance and all that cool stuff. So I appreciated what he did there. Yeah, that's a that's a solid pick. What about you, Eric? What's your favorite John Waters movie? Uh, I I mean. It's a good question. How about you go first? I'm actually looking through his movies right now to just get a. Uh... He's so he's so witty that you know you can appreciate any number of them. Just a really oh, I know. Uh, so weird. witty, witty, uh, funny, uh, intelligent commentator on society. I mean, yeah, it's um, probably Serial Mom. Oh God, I can't remember. Serial Mom's good. I can't. I can't remember. Oh. What what the name of it was? Painful Mingo. Painful Mingo is disturbing, and then there's so um, disturbing. Painful Mingo is so disturbing. It 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 it, it was. was. (laughs) God bless the vine, but the the, it gets a little too disturbing for my taste on that. that Yes, (laughs) that's good art though. That's that's Baltimore art for you. That that is Baltimore art. I've always had it. You know, Detroiters have a deep affinity for Baltimore. We appreciate oh, Baltimore yeah. very much. I feel okay, like there's you know, some similarities. Course, you know, you know, of course, the other celebrity that came from Baltimore. Which one? Well, might be a little bit before your time. Spiro Agnew? Oh, Spiro T. Agnew? Oh, God. Yes. How, yes. how dare you call him a celebrity? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. I Rob's. I thought you were going to say David Hasselhoff because David Hasselhoff did come from Baltimore as well. Is that right? Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll drop Spiro and stick with David from now on. All right. All right. I'll, I'll take it. All right. And on on the note of uh, David Hasselhoff, we're, we're going to thank you for uh, joining us this evening, Jimmy. Woo! This yeah. was great. This was great interviewing. I really appreciate the work you guys do. I'll be listening to uh, your pods for uh, until I run out. <laughs> All right? Awesome. Awesome. Thanks I again. appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. 
Hey, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening in. Uh, check us out on our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, our YouTube channel. For more information about Eric and I, go to podcastrecovery.com. But most importantly, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.